0: Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story. They are Esther and never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, never Judas. They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisee. They are the Jews escaping slavery, never Egypt. So says writer and thinker Erna Kim Hackett. Hackett then goes on to question our ability to quote-unquote locate ourselves rightly in scripture or society. Now, while Hackett is addressing, in her words, white Christianity, I want to expand her principle to all of us, whatever our ethnicity. And it's this principle or it's this tendency to read ourselves as the hero of the story rather than the villain, our tendency towards, as she calls it, Disney princess theology. And it's important that we're aware of this tendency within ourselves because over the next few weeks, I I want us to start looking in depth at some of the main characters in the story of Esther, some of whom have massive character flaws. And I want us to be able to see ourselves in them if it's necessary, to see ourselves as Haman or Xerxes. You know even esther who's often named as the as the hero of the book in fact it's named after her even she has considerable question marks over her character after all she's she she's a god-fearing jew who had premarital sex with a pagan king to enable her to get ahead in life and she's the hero of the story right and so as we read through, through the book of Esther, we don't see a lot of black and white. Instead, we see a lot of shades of gray. And so this morning, if I was to ask you right now to locate yourself in the book of Esther, where would you place yourself? Who would you relate to? Would it be Esther, the savior of the Jews, or Mordecai who stood up against Haman, the enemy of the Jews, Maybe Vashti who paid a steep price for her principles. Or might it be that you resemble Xerxes much more closely with your anger issues and the way that you allow people around you to speak poison into your life. Or maybe you're more of a Haman who who allowed hatred and pride to rule his life. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but society and culture and the media all encourage us to find ourselves. And I think that's a bit of a silly exercise, because what happens if you don't like what you find, right? And so as we read through Esther, we aren't so much interested in finding ourselves as locating ourselves. Hear me, finding yourself and locating yourself are two very different things, worlds apart. You see, finding yourself has at its core this understanding that when you find yourself, your true self, whatever that is, you will like what you find and all you need to do is embrace this self Finding yourself assumes that you don't need to change. You just need to accept what you find. On uh, one of our family movie nights a few months ago, Wendy and I watched this movie with the girls um, called Ugly Dolls. It's not my favorite movie, but it had generally a heartwarming message. And we, find ours, uh, uh, and we found ourselves singing along to the theme song in the end credits, a song uh, called Broken and Beautiful. And as we were singing, we started listening to what we were singing. Have you ever done that? You know, you're singing a song and then you start listening to what you're singing. Well, we did that. And the words were this. I know I'm superwoman. I know I'm strong. I know I've got this because I've had it all along. I'm phenomenal. I'm enough. I don't need you to tell me who to be. Could someone just hold me? Don't fix me. Don't try to change a thing. Can Can someone just know me? Because underneath, I'm, I'm broken, and it's beautiful. End quote. And so as we were singing uh, these lyrics, I asked myself, uh, Is this something I want my girls to be singing? I mean it sounds good and affirming and uplifting but there was something in the lyrics that kind of served as a stone in my shoe it sort of rubbed me up the wrong way and so as we processed this in the car as we were driving somewhere i don't even know where and you know, we don't always rip apart and, uh, you know, pop songs in the car. Most of the time, we just sing. But, but we were doing a bit of processing and a bit of, of deconstructing at this time. And as we were doing this, we realized that there is a bit of a dangerous lie being told in this song. And my girls were able to see it. And the lie goes something like this. If, if, if you are to love me, never ask me to change. Just accept me. Enough. You see, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel never says you're, you're broken and it's beautiful. Instead, what the gospel says is even though you are broken, God is committed to Jesus transforming you through the Holy Spirit into something beautiful. The end result is the beauty, not the start line. As long as we don't think we need to change, we're going to stay exactly where we are. And that's exactly what Satan wants. And that's exactly what the world wants. Just find yourself. That's what they say. Listen to a prophecy um, in Isaiah chapter 61, starting at verse 1. This is a prophecy which is really about Jesus and one that he fulfilled and even now is fulfilling around the world. And listen to how the message of these verses from Isaiah 61 is so radically different from the idea that I'm broken and it's beautiful. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Amazing, right? And Isaiah 61 is so important because it says that we're loved not because of our brokenness, but in spite of our brokenness. And Isaiah shows us a God who is absolutely committed to restoring us. Not a God who looks at us in our brokenness and sort of gives us a thumbs up and says, you look great to me. But a God who truly sees us as we are and who heals us. And who binds up what is broken, who frees what is captive, who comforts those who are mourning, who replaces our ashes with a crown of beauty, who swaps out our mourning for oil of joy, and who gives us a garment of praise instead of despair. Who doesn't want that? He takes the brokenness that is naturally ours and he's replacing it with something beautiful. He doesn't just upcycle us. Instead, he has a radical exchange policy. He says, you bring me your old and I'll give you new. You bring me your sin and I'll give you righteousness. You, you bring me your ugliness and I will give you eternal beauty through Christ. He's not interested in just working with our raw material and making something and and sort of building from that or using that as a foundation. Instead, he gives us a new nature. And it's important that I've said all this and that you've heard me say all this. Because there's a good chance as you're listening to me this morning that you're more like Haman and Xerxes and Haman's wicked wife than you are like Esther and Mordecai and Vashti. And so as we look at the deep character flaws of these people, I hope that you have the courage to locate yourself properly in this story as the villain, not as the hero, as the chump and not the champion, as the coward and not the brave one, as the whiner and not the warrior, as the broken and not as the beautiful not as the Disney princess. You see, being able to, to, to see yourself with the weaknesses of the lawbreaker and the sinner in these stories and to see their negative traits within you is the start to healing. And so as we look through the lives of these broken people, week after week, allow the Holy Spirit to start gently prodding around in your wounds. Allow him to start to get under your skin. Because he's only doing this because he wants you to be fully healed and restored. Not a patch job or a pat on the back, but a full transplant. So let's start this week by looking at uh, Xerxes. Last week, we, uh, we looked at a general overview of finding God on the pages of your life. That sense that, you know, God's not mentioned in the book of Esther. But that's because God is drawing us to look even more deeply for him, both in the pages of Esther and in the pages of our lives. Where is God at work in the pages of your life? And this week, we're going to look at uh, lessons from Xerxes, we will be focusing um, on this thought uh, that um, here it comes: that that as we admit we are broken, then God can make us into something beautiful but let's look at uh, lessons from Xerxes and so as we as we look at Xerxes uh, you will see that there's not a lot in Xerxes for you, you to admire or to like he, he's a bit of a not very nice sort of a character but as we learn about Xerxes ask yourself this say am i Xerxes how am i like Xerxes Am I able to locate myself in Xerxes' story? And if so, how is God then calling me into freedom as I follow him? So, who was Xerxes? Well, Xerxes was the king who ruled Persia from year 486 to year 465 BC. He was the ruler of the known world. Esther chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that he ruled over 127 provinces from India all the way over to Ethiopia. And his center of power was in Susa. And Esther starts with these scenes of, um, of Xerxes taking six whole months to showcase his vast wealth and his splendor and his glory. It's like a six-month show and tell. Now, he's, he did this because he's... He's actually planning at this moment a military campaign against Greece. And so this six month showcase of his might and power and glory and wealth, followed by a, a, a seven day banquet, was to show those who would join him in this invasion of Greece that he had the means to reward them richly. He's sort of saying, look what you're able to get into. And his wealth truly was incredible. Karen Jobes uh, informs us that 100 years later when Alexander the Great entered into the palace at Susa, this is what he found. He found 1,200 tons of gold and silver bullion and 270 tons of minted gold coins. Incredible wealth. And so what kind of a person was Xerxes. Well, first of all, we learn in chapter 1, verse 10 and on that his drunkenness led him to respond to his wife's refusal or rebellion, however you view it, with intense anger. And he cast her out and he stripped her of her royal title. And if that's not enough, Xerxes then allowed his trusted advisors to make a mountain out of a molehill, it was not enough that the queen was punished for her insubordination. But in verse 22, he he kind of reaches even further and orders that all husbands must be rulers of their own household. That's a rule, right? Xerxes has allowed anger to lead him into a place of unreasonable response. And in his anger, he's allowed himself to be manipulated by his advisors into this place where he's creating empire-wide edicts out of all proportion of the crime committed by Vashti. He's allowed anger and poor counsel to affect how he rules his kingdom. Yes, Xerxes might be the leader of the known world, but he's starting to look and sound pretty silly. He reminds me of... Of Prince John in the cartoon of Robin Hood, Prince uh, Robin Hood, you know, with the um, w- w- with the foxes, right? He he looks whiny and rather petulant. He he sounds a bit weak, and later on. In chapter 3, he does it again. He allows someone in his circle of trust, this time it's Haman, to manipulate him into ordering the slaughter of an entire people group. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give ten thousand talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Xerxes is one of those people who allows his anger to affect all of those around him. He's got to put those women in their place. He's got to put those Jews in their place. He's making, he's making public policy out of his private insecurity. He's making himself to uh, look like a bit of a fool. Verse 15 of chapter 3 actually sums up how people respond when they have a Xerxes in their life. Chapter 3, verse 15. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. What's he up to this time, do you think? Which King Xerxes are we going to get this morning? Strong ruler King Xerxes or easily manipulated King Xerxes? Are we going to get super generous King Xerxes with a 180-day feast? Or are we going to get... Angry Xerxes with a genocidal edict in his hand. And so friends, I ask you right now to locate yourself in Xerxes. Are you prone to anger? Are those around you constantly walking around on eggshells because they don't know which version of you will wake up this morning? Are you overly influenced by those who speak negativity and lies into your life? Who say that they're your friend, but really, if you're honest, well, they're just exploiting you for their own purposes. Are they dragging you down to their level? Are you changing how you live life because of their advice? Are you someone who... who who, who uh, who has this front of being strong and powerful and in control and mighty, but inside you're really just a stew of insecurities. Are you afraid that one day people will find out just how insecure and scared you are? Well, the truth is, they probably already know that they're just just way too afraid to let you know that they know. Psalm 1 says this, it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Friends, God calls us to replace our bravado and insecurity with the quiet godliness, with the quiet confidence of the godly with the quiet confidence of the godly. First uh, Corinthians 15 verse 33 says this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Bad company corrupts good character. Not the other way round. Good character doesn't doesn 't positively change bad company, but according to First Corinthians, bad company corrupts good character, and so are there some so called friends who, for the sake of your soul or your family that you need to actually distance yourself from like like um, Xerxes, would his life have actually been um, Maybe better if he hadn't had these had these kind of worm tongues or these yargos um, whispering lies into his life. Maybe like Xerxes, are you someone who flies off the handle and fights it really hard to say sorry and apologize? Are you constantly issuing massive, e- massive edicts and saying hurtful things to those that you love that cannot be revoked or rewound or undone? James chapter 1 verse 19 says this, My, my dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? uh, Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which, which can save you. Society has no higher expectations of you than to find yourself. To find yourself in the middle of this broken mess that it tries to sell you as being beautiful. And so society wants to convince you and have you convince others that nothing nothing ever really needs to change. We just need to find ourselves and accept ourselves. And we intuitively know that that's nonsense, right? That's not how life works, which is why we make the most of chemotherapy if we have cancer, which is why we fix up houses, which is why fixer uppers exist, which is why we brush our hair in the morning and we clean our teeth. You know, we don't just walk out and say, here world, here I am, accept me as I am. This is why we put a plaster or a band-aid on a scraped knee. Finding ourselves and simply accepting our brokenness seems to be missing a vital step. On the other hand, the message of the gospel and the gospel itself calls us to locate ourselves. And locating ourselves is worlds apart from finding ourselves. Locating yourself means I need to find out where I am. And I need to be honest about where I am. And if the place where I am is not a good place, then I need to relocate. And if the person I find when I locate myself is not a good person, then I need to get help. No true friend looks at a, looks at a person with a life-threatening illness and says, You're broken and it's beautiful. Don't change a thing. You're enough. No, they say, I love you. Now let's go get help. Friends, Satan wants you just to find yourself and to stay there. But Jesus wants you to locate yourself and to be so traumatized and hopeless at the real you that you find that you fall down at the cross in repentance and faith, calling out for mercy and for help and for hope because you know that you cannot find what you need in here. You can only find it in Christ Folks who do nothing more than find themselves in the most hopeless and tragic people in this world because that's where their journey ends. They are stuck in a cycle of hopelessness while the world says, You are phenomenal. You're enough. You don't need anyone to tell you who you are to be. What a lie! But people who locate themselves in relation to Jesus and find that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who fall at his feet in mercy and cry out for pardon. Who place their complete trust in Jesus. These are the ones who find that they are relocated. That they are now absolutely beautiful. That in Christ they are stunning. They locate themselves, they they look at their moral and spiritual um, situation, they are honest about it, and then through faith, they are relocated into a hospital of the soul, where their wounds are stitched up, and their broken bones are set, and their filthy clothes are Are snipped away and they are gently bathed, and the knots in their hair are combed out, and their teeth are cleaned, and they are given new robes of righteousness to wear. Those who say, I've found myself, are just there in their dirt. But those who locate themselves and allow Christ to relocate them are truly healed. And their song is, I was broken. But through Christ, I've been made beautiful. This is the hope of the gospel. Not of finding yourself, but of locating yourself. Of honestly appraising where you are and of finding a savior. What would Xerxes' legacy have actually been if he'd have had people who loved him enough to speak truth into his life and if he'd have been humble enough and brave enough to make the changes necessary? Xerxes' legacy is actually a sad one. He's known as, yeah, sure, he's known as the king of 127 provinces, but he's also known as a reactionary, angry, easily manipulated uh, king who nearly wiped out the Jews. So what's your legacy? How can you carve out a God-honoring legacy from the chaos in your life? Maybe chaos that you've even created, that you're responsible for. Well, it starts with stop trying to find yourself. Stop it. Stop trying to find yourself. Instead, locate yourself and allow God to find you. When we when we read the Bible, we're under no illusion about our natural location outside of Christ. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is you. This is me. You aren't a Disney princess. You are the ugly stepsister. You aren't the hero. You are the villain. And it's only as we are brave enough or needy enough, or desperate enough to be honest about our location that we allow God the room to save us and to relocate us and to write us a brand new story. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Romans 3, verse 23. We... We come to Jesus in ourselves and and we say, I know I'm superwoman. I know I'm superman. I know I'm strong. I know that I've got this because I've had it all along. I'm phenomenal. I'm enough. I don't need you to tell me who to be. And Jesus says, no, you're not. And that's okay because you don't need to be superwoman or superman. I can be your superhero. I want to be your superhero. I want to save you. We... We come to Jesus and we say, can someone just hold me? Don't fix me. Don't try to change a thing. Can someone just know me? Because underneath I'm broken. And it's beautiful. And Jesus says, but I want to fix you. I want to change your very nature. My very nature wants to change your very nature. I want to change everything and if you'll allow me, I will transform you into someone beautiful. Jesus Christ and the gospel is there for the, for, for the Xerxes out there who are listening right now. Jesus Christ and the gospel is for those who are ready to quit obsessing over finding themselves and instead have the courage to locate themselves in honesty and through repentance and faith know the joy of a God finding them.